Well, this morning uh, we're going to do our second of what we call the Big Question Sundays. Um, throughout this year we have scattered uh, specific Sundays to deal with topics. Um, so as you know, those of you who come, uh, the norm is let's open up the book of James and go to the next verse and do verse by verse study. Uh, we will resume our study with the book of James next Sunday uh, as we will continue in chapter 3. Um, but I want to take some time and, and do a little something uh, on angels and demons uh, to talk about that. And the way to look at this is, is as if you would study the majesty of mountains or the great expanse of the universe and realize that Jesus is greater than all of this. And so we will see some interesting things of note of angels and, and demons, of their power, but understand that is all in relationship to Jesus Christ and that he is greater. Uh, unfortunately, I will not have one text. Um, and so we will be looking at multiple passages as we uh, go through this time, which will make it a little bit busy. Um, this will feel more like a class, less like Sunday morning. I, had, uh, I think after last time, someone said, I just want to hear you preaching. You know, this isn't preaching. This is something else. Um, but we'll, we'll take some uh, uh, deviations from time to time to address some subjects that, that indeed uh, impact our life. Next one you'll see in the bulletin, I think, is in May, when we talk about how to live as a follower of Christ in a society that favors homosexuality. Um, and so it's not just about the question of homosexuality. Uh, we've dealt with that multiple times in the past, but how do we live in that society? Um, and so um, if you've been with us before, we've talked about that uh, sexual sin is indeed sin uh, and that there is directives from the Lord uh, that impacts not just same sex, but uh, opposite sex attraction as well, more so as that is where most of us live. But how do we live in a society? And that'll be next time uh, in May, and you'll see that in the bulletin. So let's talk about this, the, the issue of uh, angels and uh, the demons uh, this has come to me a few times, certainly in other countries, but even as I've come back and uh, working and ministering in the States, I never forgot, uh, one of the pastors uh, called me in the area and said, um, do you or do you know anyone that deals with exorcism? <laughs> and uh, he, he and I both went to the same seminary, um, and we both agreed they did not have that class uh, at Southeastern Seminary, um, and so... We were fresh out of ideas of people uh, to deal with this, and, and he was dealing with someone. Um, it was not too long ago we had uh, someone call our church office, and they were in somewhat of a panic, um, and they lived in one of our neighboring uh, neighborhoods, and, and said, we just need to talk to a minister. doesn't matter who, just we need someone. And so I agreed, and uh, a young uh, family came in, a, a husband, a wife, and their young daughter, and and it was dealing with their house and uh, the spirits in their house and, and what uh, the daughter was seeing and things talking about that. And so I thought, well, all right, here we go. Uh, and we talk about, I talked about the authority of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Uh, the authority of Jesus. I am not an exorcist. All right. Um, you see a role in that in the New Testament. Uh, where there are those that God grants those power. Um, I've never had to deal with it 
uh, in a direct manner. Uh, so please don't call me an expert uh, in this and tell all your buddies, okay? Um, but what I can share with you is what the Word of God says. But I am confident in the authority of Jesus Christ. And so we do not have to live in fear. We do not have to be uh, in, in trembling about this. Yes, there are some things to respect, but more importantly, to know the authority of Jesus Christ and be more consumed with who Jesus is than the power that are around and resist Jesus. Uh, and so um, I'm going to ask you, if you want to, you can certainly take notes on this as we'll be going around. But let's first talk about angels and then... Uh, we'll talk about uh, demons uh, that are in somewhat similar category, uh, though on the exact opposite. Uh, when we talk about angels, there's the Hebrew forms and the New Testament are the Greek forms of these words. And so let me just talk about the name first. And, and the Hebrew uh, is the word malak, which is referring to hu- human messengers by and large. Uh, but in the Old Testament, you start to see other titles. Things like the cherub in Genesis chapter 3, when the fall of man comes and Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden. We, the Bible tells us that there are cherubim, they're guarding the holiness of God uh, and the tree of life. Uh, and so you have the introduction of the word cherub. Psalm 89 verse 7, and as well as in Job, you see the words holy ones. You see in the Old Testament, heavenly host, 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 19. A watcher, uh, referring to an angel as a watcher in Daniel chapter 4, verse 13. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, they're referred to as sons of God, as well as in Job chapter 2, verse 1. And then seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, as uh, there is a, what we call the God revealing himself in some visible form, it's a theophany. Uh, but you have these seraphim uh, as a class of angels. And the New Testament, the word angel, uh, is simply the word messenger. Um, And so it has a reference to humans as well as to supernatural beings, these spirit beings. And so in just a few places you see it referred to as humans. Uh, But by and large, um, 175 times, all but six, is referring to a supernatural being. There are two individual angels mentioned by name, and only two mentioned by name. Michael, you see him referred to in Daniel uh, chapter 12, and in Jude 9 as an archangel, which replies some sense of order among the angels. And then the second one being Gabriel. Gabriel was referred in Daniel as well in Luke, especially with the announcement of John the Baptist and Jesus, Gabriel was utilized as God's messengers um, to uh, humans. When were they created? Understand they are created. They're created by God. Uh, in fact, in Psalm 148, verse 2, it says, Praise Him, all ye His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Let them praise the name of of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Psalm 148, verse 5. And so we know that these are created beings. Uh, it's interesting, when we were talking to the Nosu people in Puga, the, land, the county we adopted, 
Many of them worship uh, what's uh, animism, which worship different powers, different beings, and they believe in demons, but they have no idea and sense of how these demons came to be. And so when we share the story that goes from creation to Christ, we include how God created all things, and the very first thing that God created was the spirit world. The spirit world, and that's when it grabs the nose because they've never heard what the Bible has to say or what anyone has to say about the creation of these angels. Uh, so somewhere between Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, created all that is, and Genesis chapter 3, where you have the Garden of Eden and Satan coming, uh, somewhere in between Genesis 1 and 3 is what's referred to as the fall of some angels. We'll refer to that later on. But just know they were created by God, and I would say specifically, they were created by Christ himself. Created by God through Christ. And we know this from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the same was the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ is the uh, one through whom God creates the angel world that we know today. We know this as well from Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, where in Jesus all things visible and invisible were created. So they were created before uh, sometime day one when the uh, humans are coming to the scene. Now, if you read in Job chapter 38, verse 6 and 7, Job says that the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy and celebration of God's creation on the earth. So they were there even as God was creating the earth. They were singing and celebrating with God uh, and rejoicing of the creation world that he had given. What is the nature of these angels? All right. We know that they are spiritual, personal beings. How do we know that? Well, they express emotions. You see this in Job 38, verse 7, what we just quoted. They're rejoicing. They're rendering worship in Psalm 148, verse 2. They engage in conversations with humans as we read throughout the Bible. They make moral choices. Make moral choices. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but they are spiritual beings, so they do not normally exist with a human body, but they can take on the form of a human body. Uh, we see ample evidence of this in the Old and New Testament. But in appearance, when they do take on human form, oftentimes they are glorious. Glorious. So much so that the typical reaction of a human before an angel is fall down in fear, and great fear. And the angel usually has to say, do not fear. We see this, of course, in the Christmas uh, uh, account. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid as he have, uh, appeared before the shepherds. And intellect, they're smart, but they're not all-knowing. Extremely wise and intelligent 
but they are not all-knowing. We see them involved in the giving of the law. According to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, angels were used on Mount Sinai to give the law of God from God the Father. They were sent by God in Daniel chapter 8 to interpret visions. And so they have the wisdom of God. Uh, they increase in knowledge. You know, one of the most fascinating things is when we studied the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 through 11, notice that if we go there, we'll see that the angels are learning things. What are they learning? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Isn't that interesting? The angels are learning about God's manifold full wisdom, and they do it by watching us. Watching God's work, the gospel work, in bringing people to himself and making a people for himself. That is amazing to me. I, I, I never... Uh, stop getting tired of reading that as I read about the church and who we are and God's role of working with angels through the church. So they are still learning. And power, learn about the wisdom. And power, they are strong, suprahumanly strong. All right, so now this is when the children start talking about Marvel's Avengers, all right? Uh, the superhero. There is an and an amazing ability that God has granted these angels. Uh, but they are not omnipotent, all-powerful. And so there's a limitation. They are mighty ambassadors. They use their strength and honor for the purposes of God's working. And so there is a super high, superhuman strength to them. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter states directly that angels are greater in power and might than humans themselves. And so they use this strength to administer the judgment of God as well as working on behalf of God as well as for humans. Now, in their presence, there are many different places, but they're not omnipresent. In other words, they can't be everywhere at once like God the Father. Now, why is this important? Because we're going to learn that Satan is also in the form of an angel. And so he cannot be everywhere at once. There is a big difference between him and God the Father. Uh, so there are move from place to place. Sometimes it involves delay. We read this in Daniel chapter 9, that there is the delaying in the appearance of an angel. And so there is some mystery to how they move, and they, they uh, certainly break uh, the dimensions that we understand and know and how we operate. They break time and space dimension and how they can move from place to place. And so there is a, a superhumanist or suprahumanist nature about them. They are more glorious than man in status. They're more glorious than man. We know this from Psalm chapter 8 verse 5. It says, yet you have made him a man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Though that is the case, 
there will be a day and time where God will grant to the believer an ability and authority of judging angels. We know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that Paul asserts that one day uh, saints will judge the angels. How many angels are there? A bunch. That's the scientific answer. A bunch. There's a multitude of them. In fact, the scripture speaks many times of multitudes of angels so that they are innumerable. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, innumerable nouns of angels as well as Matthew 26, verse 33. Uh, the Lord is said to have come from ten thousands of his holy ones at the giving of the law at Sinai, according to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, that with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, that God came from ten thousands of these angel ones. What are the purpose of such a vast being? They offer ceaseless praise. Ceaseless praise, praise and glory to God the Father. We get uh, hints of this as we read this in, in uh, Revelation of some of the angelic praise that are going on. And as I've mentioned before, there's some sense of order because there is an archangel in Jude 9 referring to Michael. As well as he referred to as one of the chief priests in Daniel chapter 10 verse 13. But what is their purpose? Still with me? <laughs> All right, this is a lot. What is the purpose? They minister. They minister to God and to his saints. How do they minister to God? Well, they minister by directly giving praise to God and adoration. We see this in Psalm 148. They direct praise and worship to God and away from themselves. You see an example of this in Revelation 22, verse 9. The angel says to John, who has fallen at his feet, he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. That is the consistent chant of the angels. Worship God, direct it to them. You see them in obedience to the will of God. They minister to God by doing His will. Multiple examples of this in the Old and New Testament. From delivering messengers to caring uh, for the believers, patrolling the earth, administrating wrath, executing judgment, assisting Christ. But they also minister to man. They minister to man by expressing God's favor and His judgment. They minister to him by giving God's favor, expressing it as well as God's judgment. You see this early on in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, you see the cherubim there as a ministering to man to protect them. Lot and his family in Genesis chapter 19 were protected by two angels who led them out of Sodom. Psalm chapter 91, verse 11 Scripture says he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And then they give divine revelation, messages from God to man. They express the favor of God in salvation. You see this in Luke chapter 15. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke 15 verse 10. What does that tell us? That when a soul sees the beauty of God and sees their need 
for Savior of their sins. And they expressed to God their forgive, asking for forgiveness and confession that God and the angelic presence around him are rejoicing that there is a new party, a new time of praise and worship to God in his presence. I thank God this past week we, uh, we saw a couple of our children come forward wanting to express statement of faith. Uh, expressing that they know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We had a, another uh, man that came and met with me this week wanting to express faith through baptism later on this week. And I just know that as they share this with me, that there is some time as they express it before God that there was an angelic party in God's presence with God himself rejoicing over these things according to Luke chapter 15, verse 10. They minister to humans by expressing God's judgment. King Herod is the prime example for this in Acts chapter 12, verse 23. It says that immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod because he did not give glory to God. What did it look like? Well, it looked gross. He was eaten by worms and died. It was an angelic wrath given by God himself. The Lord's return, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Verse 16, the Lord's return will be marked by the uh, voice of an archangel. We don't know if it's Gabriel or Michael, but we know that it will be marked with an angelic trumpet sound. His mighty angels in flaming fire take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, according to 2 Thessalonians. And so this is a little bit about angels. But nowhere in the Bible is God commanding us to worship angels why would we celebrate angels when we have god available to us to praise and love and worship now let's talk a little bit about the evil angels demons satan and the old testament satan is actually a hebrew word it is a verb meaning to oppose or to act as a noun, it's to be as an adversary. And so instead of an enemy, you would have the Hebrew word, you have a Satan, an adversary. As a fallen angel, Satan accused Job before God. You see this in Job chapter 1, verse 6. And so you see some other terms in the Old Testament referring to this Satan, our accuser. There is the shining one in Isaiah 14, verse 12, are translated morning star or maybe day star or in your new king james lucifer coming from shining one many of it's uh, understood to know that's referring to satan and ezekiel 28 14 is referred to as anointed guardian cherub so we see the children of israel worshiping demons in deuteronomy 13 verse 16 and 17 false gods they were being lured away in the new testament the two most common designations for satan are the word diabolos meaning devil or the word of course satan diabolos means slanderer or accuser satan meaning adversary opponent jesus had several terms he referred to satan as beelzebub or lord of the flies Thus, the ruler of the demons. New Testament refers to him as the tempter in Matthew 4, verse 3. The enemy 
as Matthew 13, 39, the father of lies and murderer, and John 8, 44, Belial, 2 Corinthians 6, 15, prince of the power of the air, in Ephesians 2, verse 2, the adversary, in 1 Peter 5, 8, the wicked one, 1 John 2, 13, the great dragon, or the ancient serpent, the deceiver, in Revelation 12, verse 9. Now, one of the most puzzling questions, as I think I have heard recently one, one of the children ask, where'd Satan come from? Or, more significantly, why did God create Satan? A children will ask that, but a 90-year-old will puzzle over the same thing. Because it is at the heart, why does the problem of evil exist? I would just bring to your attention that God, in creating angels, created them first for the intention of glorifying himself, made for that purpose. But in reflecting himself, he gave them a will, an option, an opportunity to worship God. Now, why did he do that? Well, we're starting to enter into the mysteries of God in which I I'm not paid enough to go there. But I would just bring an observation that love comes as we freely choose. And there are some things that God has given us an opportunity to love Him with, which will require an option to choose to love Him or not. And so evidently within angels is this option of which Satan himself chose poorly. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, everything was very good. But then in chapter 3, verse 1 and 5, we find that Satan, at some point, has rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven, bringing many angels under the judgment of Satan. We read this alluded to in Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12 through 15, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 through 19, Matthew 25, verse 41. At that time... We've, we see in 2 Peter chapter 2, 4, some of them were bound, but some were not. Who are continuing to work against God's authority. I often bring out the fact that Satan came as a serpent, speaking to woman who spoke to man, because God created an order of which man was to have authority over woman, and man with the woman to have authority over creation, including the animal world. But in how Satan attacked as an animal to the woman and then to the man, he was reversing and attacking the very order that God had established and how the temptation was coming. He is always against God. Now, what is his nature? Like angels, intelligent, knowing the scriptures, wise, but not so wise as to worship God. He is limited in his intelligence, and arrogant, wanting praise to be for himself. What is his appearance? There's not one New Testament passage that gives specifics in this regarding his looks, but we do know, do know that he's referred in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, as an angel of light, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So deception is one of his hallmarks, and so it is no surprise when he takes a form that might be well received. 
Paul may have had in his mind, Genesis 3, the disguise of the serpent who enlightened, so to speak, Eve. Jesus seems to alert, allude to organization in referring to demons. When he refers to Satan's identity as the prince of demons. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 32, suggesting that there was an order. He's referred to as the prince of this world. He also said that Matthew 25, verse 41, that hell was made for Satan and his demons. That was the purpose of God's judgment. It was never wanting, God's never desire was for humans to enter there, but it was made for Satan and his demons. But those who go to the hell, lake of fire, does so under their choice in rejecting God and following themselves as Satan did. We keep on reading, what is the ministry of Satan? It's self-serving. Throughout the demons, thoroughly and completed to be attacking God. Jesus said it this way, He was a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44. Whoever continually practices sin is of the devil because the devil has sinned from the beginning, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Matthew 16, 23, he simply opposes God. As a tempter, he lures people to commit sin. There's various actions you see him doing throughout the Old and New Testament, inciting false worship, inflicting physical suffering, enslaving in sin, lying, scheming evil, blinding unbelievers, disguising evil, opposing the progress of the saints, hindering godly ministry, seeking to destroy, empowering false teachers, deceiving the whole world. There are some things when I look over the history of mankind, such as the Holocaust, genocides of various sorts, you see that there is an intensity of evil that becomes widespread in its society. You look at that, and I, as a believer, knowing what the Word of God says about Satan, have to believe that these events have happened because of satanic, demonic activity in the hearts of mankind. The Bible does more to explain evil in society than other groups of philosophies can. How do you explain some of the atrocities that has taken place? Even now, these aren't just things that happened 50, 50 years ago. They are being uncovered still. It is the intensifying effect of our own sin by satanic, demonic activity that spreads throughout. In short, Satan and his angels are forever opposed to God, his word, and the created order that God has created. It is for this reason, 1 John 3, 8 says, that the Son of God has appeared to destroy the works of the devil. When we think about evil and righteousness, we cannot think of it as some dualism of Confucianism or other things. Because things like that say that God, good and evil will eternally exist. But when we read the scriptures, we find that evil will not forever exist. And that is something distinctively different from the New Testament understanding of good and evil. That in the end, the good will win. And that has formed movies and stories for ages. 
The good guys win. Why? It's given to us by the word of God in our hearts. And God has put eternity in our hearts. Thus, our stories reflect the same. How do we deal with this one? I want to share with you some of how we are to deal with Satan. Some people will ask, well, do we, do we pray against Satan? No. You don't do that. In fact, Jude makes this point. That even when the angels are dealing with demonic activity, they would say, the Lord rebuke you. They don't go into this spiritually wrangling with some demonic activities. In fact, I found that there is really one battle One spiritual battle place that takes place. And it is holy, completely in my mind. The battles that take place are dealing with my surrender to God. I'll share uh, how that's played out in the New Testament uh, in just a little bit. One of the questions that is often asked, do we have guardian angels? That's a popular idea. In other words, you know, it's like that cartoon of Dennis the Menace. You know, that poor angel's all worn out and tired. Um, And we think, is that how that works? Well, Matthew 18.10, Jesus said this about little children. I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I think that we have to be careful as we read that because their angel isn't referring necessarily to just an individual guardian angel, but it could refer to angels in a collective sense with the idea that little children also referring to an example to all believers who are new in the faith that there is an angelic presence that is there on behalf of those who belong to him. Whether it's one assigned to you or not, the Bible does not say. But there is an angelic presence there to watch over those who belong to himself, belong to God. So, as we keep on thinking about this, how do we stand firm? First, we're to be vigilant. Be vigilant, watchful. First Peter 5.8 Peter admonished believers to be sober, to be vigilant, because the adversary is on the prowl like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said it this way, watch and pray, as he referred to Peter, and before the cross and the crucifix, and he said to all his disciples, watch and pray, but specifically to Peter, because Satan wishes to sift you. But I'm praying for you. So what did this demonic activity look like for Peter? What, what did it Uh, flesh out in this satanic attack on him. Well, as we read in the narratives, it looked like Peter trying to stay with Jesus, trying to protect Jesus, but doing so through fleshly means, taking out his sword and cutting off an ear. And then as he followed Jesus into the court and being approached by those who said, you look like the one that followed Jesus, that you see it look like fear, look like intimidation, and look like him following, cowering to preserve his life, that this spiritual activity wasn't such a, uh, such a, sp- a spiritual activity that you might think in some movie, but it looked like the battle of his mind, the battle of his heart to say, will I love God more than myself? Will I love God more than my, rep- my reputation, than my very life itself? The battle looked like his own mind. 
watch and pray. Second word of instruction comes from us to us from Ephesians 4:27. Paul commands to give no place to the devil. Obviously, he's not referring to a physical territory as he is spirit. But instead, allowing room in your heart for Satan to work. And what did that room look like? It looked like anger and resentment. Those tools become spaces for God, or for Satan to work in your heart to bring division in the body. One of the things I, I believe that we who have gone through the last months in our church that we need to be very careful of. There have been those who have disagreed with our church and left the last few months. But if you're not careful, and we're not careful, we can let that grow into resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness. That is danger ground. And there has to be and needs to be within our own heart a continual sense of saying, God, you're great. You're loving and you're forgiving and you're gracious and you have given me more than I could ever ask, more than I deserve. And Lord, you have asked me to extend grace and mercy, love and forgiveness to others. I found that in my life I need to continually call people by name before God and say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Why? Because the most important thing is for me to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. And to be in bitterness and resentment is to give place for Satan to work. And so in accordance with Ephesians 4.27, we are to be careful about that. James chapter 4, verse 7, we'll look at in just a few weeks. Not only are we to watch out, be vigilant, not only we make sure there's no place for Satan to work in our hearts through unguarded sin, continual sin, but simply resist the devil, James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee to you. But how do you resist the devil? He tells you within the same sentence. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so it's not just his conscious effort of saying, okay, no Satan, no Satan, no Satan, because then Satan's always on my mind. I mean, how do you keep from thinking about pink elephants? Well, you think about purple horses. There is a replacement. It's not just avoiding it, because in avoiding it, it becomes even more firm in your heart. So it's not just by saying resist, 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 but also to say, I submit to God. God, you are here. You're holy. You're great. You're present. And you want to work, and I want you to work. And so I want to submit to you. And in submitting to God, you resist the devil. And so when times of temptation comes to say, God, would you give me a vision of your son? Give me a vision of who you are, and let you do the work. You see that tactic with Jesus as he deals with Satan continually. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20, stand firm. Stand firm. Talks about that we are not wrestling just against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness. So we are to stand firm, bearing the armor of God, God's tools for our life. 
Prayer is not the means by which believers engage Satan and demons. Don't talk to Satan. Don't talk to demons. Don't give them that place. Replace it with talking to God. He and he alone is the one to whom we pray. It is the mean, prayer is the means by which all believers call on God for help in order to stay strong in Christ. So what was Jesus' word of Peter, knowing that Satan wanted to sift him? Watch and pray. You know, dealing with these questions that would come to my mind, I remember seeing this among other believers in other places. I remember in discussion with people in Haiti, I was talking with the minister there, and he was telling me about his people and, and, this, and this demonic activity that he deals with and, and working and ministering to the people in, in Haiti that are there. And I shared with them a passage I'd share with this church out of the book of Acts, that it comes simply to the authority of Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't describe demon possession like some noun state like we use it, he's possessed with, with the demon. In fact, it, it's instead you see it in a verb form, demonizing. There is a demonizing activity. And I would just share with, with you that the only safe place for the saint of God is not in some profession of faith. That it's not in some act of baptism alone. The only safe place for the saint of God is to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Which means to say that you are to be yielded to the authority of Jesus Christ. That you are to be content and satisfied completely by God's presence. And that is the only safe place because it is there that you are submitted to God and thus resisting Satan. And so when attacks come to say, I'm not going to try to deal with this with the strength of my might. I'm going to deal with it with God's Holy Spirit and surrender and submission to Him. Share with the church body. Let them, as I humbly ask the church in humility, God gives grace and so I share it with the body in prayer. As a church, we work together in prayer for one another that we may stand firm and strong under the name and authority of Jesus Christ. And that's simply it. And it's amazing, as you see in history, that when Satan attacks and, and attacks and attacks, God only uses it to bring people under his authority. That's amazing. So what does that tell me? Satan may attack and attack he will, but we serve the living God who brings people to himself, not just despite, even through the attacks of Satan. He cannot win. It has been declared. Is it true in your heart and life?